one of the main tactics that we try to do throughout this process with this broad coalition on tough issues is to really try to listen, which I think is often a tactic that is overlooked. We all have fun, shiny tools as communicators that out of the box we want to be using. But it is really important not only to have that kind of foundational research step, but throughout the process to always be listening because things are changing so rapidly, especially in kind of communications adjacent areas in the media, online, and certainly in the broader national conversation, how things are moving. And of course, science is a big part of driving rapid change. So really taking a step back and listening. Have you ever noticed that some of the best ideas come from unexpected places? Your next breakthrough may come from a leader facing similar challenges, but in a completely different sector. Welcome to Chief Influencer. I'm your host, Anthony Shop. Join us as we explore how today's successful leaders inspire, influence, and connect with others. Chief Influencer is a production of Social Driver and the Communications Board, who have teamed up to spotlight how great leaders and communicators are making their impact in the world. This episode is brought to you by the George Washington University's College of Professional Studies. With in-person and online programs, ranging from master's degrees in public relations strategy to certificate programs in digital communications, GW offers more than just the credentials to help working professionals get ahead. It prepares them to be leaders in their field. As a proud GW graduate myself, I can attest that faculty members combine academic rigor with real-world lessons that can't always be found in textbooks. Check out cps.gwu.edu for more information. Hello, I'm Liesl Riddle, and I am the Dean of the College of Professional Studies here at the George Washington University. We are the very proud sponsors of this podcast, Chief Influencer. I'm subbing in today for Anthony Shaw. I'm really very excited about this opportunity because you are in for a treat today. We have one of our very own alumni from our Graduate School of Political Management, Anne Rancourt, joining us today to tell us a little bit about how she has become a chief influencer. By the way, Anne, congratulations on becoming a chief influencer. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, And thank you for having me and inviting me. It's, It's such a pleasure to always return to GSPM and talk to you guys. And um, thank you. Well, let's tell our audience a little bit about your background. Anne Rancourt is the communications director at the National Institute on Drug Abuse, otherwise known as NIDA, where she oversees communication of the world's largest investment in research on drugs and addiction. Prior to joining the NIDA team in 2020, She worked at the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, where she led communications on HIV, allergy, and immunology. Anne also has served as the communication director for the Office of Research on Women's Health at the National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute, a presidential management fellow in the Office of the Secretary, Department of Health and Human Services, and in brand management, behavior change campaigns, and marketing on behalf of the U.S. Environmental Protections Agency. She also began her career as a journalist at the Washington Post and NBC News. 
and has a bachelor's degree in English from the Georgetown University and a master's degree in strategic public relations from George Washington University. And again, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Where I kind of want to begin to kind of explore your background as a chief influencer, I want to ask you a little bit about stakeholders. You know, most leaders have a range of stakeholders from employees to board members and customers to industry peers. Who are some of the important people or groups that you have to influence to achieve the impact that you want to make in the world? Yeah, well, we have a really broad audience that we're trying to reach. I mean, certainly, uh, you know, coming from a government agency, our audience is the American people. Um, and as a communicator, of course, you want to, you know, segment that audience a little bit. Um, you know, when when you talk to a client or uh, anyone in communications and you're like, this is the audience, everyone, um, you want to try to narrow that down a little bit. So, uh, our, our main goal um, is to uh, help people uh, understand drug use, um, hopefully help prevent drug use, um, but also help people who uh, have substance use disorders um, or who are experiencing some of the adverse um, effects of drug use, um, some of the consequences of drug use, and help them understand the science and how to get the best care that they can, how to manage this in their lives. Um, and so there are a number of um, sort of intermediaries that we work with along the way toward reaching those people. Uh, and a really important one um, that uh, we work with frequently are clinicians. Um, and so anyone involved in patient care, primarily doctors, but also nurses, counselors, social workers, et cetera. Um, and uh, it's, it's so important to reach them, not just scientifically with the science, which is obviously a huge piece of it, but there's a really important role for communications there too. And so if I can use the this podcast to educate a little bit about the complexity of dealing with drug use uh, in our country, what's, it, um, what's really interesting uh, that I've learned in this position is while we think of medical care as something that, you know, if you go in uh, with a certain condition, you should receive a certain kind of guidelines-based care for that condition. And that's what we expect from our doctors um, when we get treatment. It doesn't always work that way in practice, which people also probably know um, from working, uh, from having experiences with the medical system. Um, and particularly so for addiction. Um, the way that clinical care is delivered is often very colored by stigma from uh, clinicians, which are beliefs or misconceptions that people have about addiction and about drug use um, that can often impact the quality of care that people receive, or even if they receive care at all. Um, and that can extend to, you know, primary care physicians who have an opportunity to intervene in substance use. Um, it can extend to pharmacists uh, who sometimes don't fill prescriptions for the medications that are proven to work to treat addiction. So, uh, so this is really a, a role that communications can um, have an important effect in changing the way clinicians understand their work, understand their patients, understand the science. 
and so that's been a really pivotal part of what we do. Yeah, it sort of sounds like just managing stakeholder management in a role like yours is not just about kind of making sure all of the stakeholders are all on the same page, right? And kind of see the institution and its strategy in a similar vein. But it's really about even in some cases moving their mental maps, right? And then and therefore really making an impact for the people that you are are serving. So stakeholder management sounds in your in your particular case like even a more important and impactful um, set of activities. Yeah, yeah. We we certainly have a lot of work to do uh, in this country to address addiction and particularly the the overdose crisis, which is at its highest levels. Um, and so we need everyone at the table for that. Uh, and so trying to form broad coalitions and work with people across sectors and in different ways, often on very controversial or, you know, uncomfortable topics um, and confronting biases is, is really important and uh, a lot to dig into. Well, given all of, of that that you have to push up as you're pushing up this mountain to really kind of change the way people see and respond to these crises, I know as a communications profess- professional, you have to be doing some kind of special tactics, right? It's not just about what you say, it's how you say it, where you say it, to whom you say it. And so I'm one of the things we love about this podcast is that our chief influencers often give our audience great tips for what are those sort of breakthrough tactics that really helps make you successful in the role that you ha- are in in your whole career. Do you have some of those breakthrough tactics you could share with us? Sure, sure. And I mean, I have to say, uh, figuring out the tactics that draw, that work to elevate your strategy, to reach your audience. I mean, it's all, this is the, the GSPM piece that I learned at GW that I bring with me to work every single day. There's really not a day that goes by that I don't reflect on you know, my first course that I took with Professor Parnell, where he taught us how to do a communications plan. And I mean, at almost every meeting I'm in, I'm referencing that in my mind. So it's been been such a great uh, uh, foundation to build off of. Um, but, you know, I think one of one of the main tactics that we try to do throughout this process with this, you know, broad coalition on tough issues is to really try to listen, which I think is often um, a tactic that is overlooked or, you know, not really thought of. Like we all have fun, shiny tools uh, as communicators that out of the box we want to be using. Um, But it is really, really important not only to have that kind of foundational research step, but throughout the process to always be listening because things are changing so rapidly, especially in kind of communications adjacent areas, um, in the media, uh, online, um, and uh, certainly, you know, in the broader national conversation, uh, how things are moving. And of course, science is a big part of driving uh, rapid change. So um, so really taking a step back and listening. And uh, last week I was in Phoenix uh, at a conference where we had the opportunity to hear firsthand from people at the community level who are working to help folks who are using drugs, 
um, and to avoid the harms associated with that kind of, with that drug use, how to get into treatment, how to deal with the multiple complexities of life uh, when you are in active drug use or trying to move into recovery. Um, and it was really, really uh, just wonderful to hear what they're doing, what they're facing, how we can play a bigger role in helping to reduce some of the barriers there, how we can offer help uh, from the NIH perspective, um, how we might want to rethink some of the policies and processes and the way that science has been done for a long time um, is, is just incredibly uh, valuable to have that experience. And I'm so grateful for people sharing that with us. Um, it can be tough to hear feedback, you know, um, especially when it's, uh, you know, not glowing feedback. Um, but that's really when you have to pay attention because that's when you get the real information on how you can do a better job, how you can better serve Americans. I think it's really interesting. We, I asked you about communication tactics. And typically people move to a how they're going to encode a message, right? In terms of a channel or in terms of a framing or something like that. And I love your answer because it's it's a different way of, kind of almost looking at the question. It's about listening, right? It's about before you encode the message, make sure you are listening to the audience, to those various different stakeholders and being open to hearing criticism, critique, or a different point of view that you hadn't anticipated. So I, I, I love that suggestion. Oh, thanks. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting at like, uh, working at NIH, I mean, I'm not a scientist by training. I am a dyed in the wool communications media person, but I've learned a lot, uh, from science and the scientific process that has informed the way that, uh, that I practice communications. And the iterative approach of science to testing something, seeing what happens, and then adjusting how you test it, you know, and thinking of uh, of your work as this ongoing process that can always be improved. Um, and what is the next step to create a better product, a better drug, a better treatment, you know, better outcome? Uh, I think is is really lovely, and you know there. Each tactic is not an end in itself, but, you know, it, even if it fails, you can learn from that. You can take something away and make it better next time. And so kind of having that long-term view, I think, gives you some flexibility that that can be really nice. We talked earlier about stakeholder management, but mostly with an you know, external focus. And so much about influencing organizations is about influencing on the inside. So can you tell us a little bit about who on the inside do you need to influence and inspire um, and how do you do it and how do you do it so successfully? Yeah, um, I mean, the government is is very large and we absolutely work across the government uh, in trying to tackle big issues. We're a part of a lot of um, working groups and committees um, across the government uh, and uh, on the topic of drugs, it's it's interesting because there's a public health approach, which is you know kind of where where we are, 
um, there's also a very strong law enforcement approach. And so it's, again, a big tent and we all must work together uh, to um, figure this out on behalf of the government. Um, and, you know, the, the other thing that I've been reflecting on recently is uh, whether it's internal or external or some of these kind of intermediary uh, um, audiences that we're trying to reach is the power of showing up in person. Um, you know, I, it's been so uh, fascinating to live through COVID and all of the changes that have come in communications uh, and with our culture kind of over these last, you know, four or five years um, to, to see how we come out and how uh, communications change. And I think one thing that has a new power and is also kind of maybe often overlooked because it's so easy to, you know, uh, use tools that are online. There's so much focus on emerging technologies and like Zoom is wonderful. It's, you know, connecting us today. Um, but the power of showing up in person is a very old school tactic, but I think that it might have even greater relevancy and importance today because it's so easy to virtually attend something, you know, that showing up, getting on a plane, you know, getting in a in a taxi, going downtown, whatever it is, um, I think really can make an impact. And and that's something, especially working for a government agency, that uh, is a tactic that we think about, and that I think a lot of folks in Washington probably take into account. Also, is when you um, are doing communications and you have a federal official as a spokesperson. Showing up is a symbol in and of itself to an extent. And so um, how that is can be leveraged as a tactic, um, you know, I think can can be a really important tool in the communications toolbox. So interesting how COVID has changed our world so much, you know, thinking about modality as a tactic, right? is so very important, but not something that we thought much of, I think, before uh, before COVID. Yeah, really good point. I want to switch gears a little bit and, and talk a little bit about what it's like to be a leader in maintaining your own professional brand while at the same time, you're very much tied to your professional organizational brand. And there's a lot of gray between those two spaces. Um, how do you navigate that and yet still say, stay authentic to yourself, but also um, honor and reflect what you need to for your organization? Yeah. Um, well, that is something I think about a lot. I think there's, there's a very interesting, for anyone who's early career uh, watching this, I think there's a very interesting transition that happens in your career as you move to a more senior role where you really have to redefine yourself uh, as a manager, you know, as the person suddenly kind of in charge or setting the rules or, you know, making the decisions. Um, and it, it requires kind of a lot of 
uh, a lot of thought and about how you want to present yourself. And I think as a communicator, you know, that's really front top of mind because you're constantly thinking about how you're positioning things and what that looks like and kind of the message that you want to convey. So, uh, so it's something that needs to be kind of deliberately thought through. Um, and I can't say that, uh, that for me, it was so deliberate, but it's, it's been interesting to kind of watch it unfold. And the message, uh, that I would have for folks is, is to really try to be true to your own personality because it's just going to make working and managing a lot easier. Uh, and there, I had one experience early on um, when I became a manager that kind of helped me learn this, which was um, someone uh, on my team, you know, there there were some mistakes made and we had to have a very serious conversation about, you know, what happened and the way forward. And I was so nervous to have this conversation because I was like, oh no, I'm I'm a manager now. I have to be really tough. Like, you know, what's what's the idea of someone who is having this performance conversation? It's that's gonna be, you know, gotta be really tough. And I was really nervous to have to be that way. And uh I went into the conversation and you know, that just isn't what came out. I I kind of try to bring some humor and levity to kind of, you know, to my management style. And, and that's what came out. And the result was a very frank and comfortable conversation that addressed the issue and which was never repeated, led to a much better outcome. And I was so happy that in the moment I had found my own voice and my own way of solving the problem. And I realized that I didn't have to step into an archetype that was, you know, something I had imagined from uh, bosses I had had before that weren't the same type of person generationally or demographically. Um, And, and I kind of found my own way. And once I realized you could do that, it became much easier. Well, I think too, the recipient of that message, right? They they see, I'm sure, that this is the authentic you, right? They work with you. They know that you are really all in on that very difficult conversation. You're not just reading from a script or talking points, right? And I, I can imagine that that would just want to make a teammate want to work that much harder, right? Because they it, and then now the performance issue becomes a little bit more personal. Right. It's not just about performing in the organization. It's like performing for the team, performing for you and for the others. And so I, I love the, uh, the stress on the authenticity, even and critical and, and, uh, critical conversations. I think is really important. Yeah. 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 I think that's so important pulling out the authenticity because as a communications professional, I mean, that's what you would be advising your, your client or your boss or whomever is to be authentic, you know? But when it's your doing PR for yourself is always the hardest thing. Um, but I feel like if you can tap into the wisdom uh, and the learnings and the training uh, of doing PR, doing communications and leverage that in your own uh, management practice as you move up the um, the career chain, uh, 
you're in you're in a good place. It's it's good training to be to be moving up to be in management. Well, speaking of kind of managing others, you know, I think uh, one of the things I'm curious about is many of our chief influencers are not only really strong at communicating about their organizations and the, their own work, but they also focus on using their communication skills to elevate others. Can you share a little bit about how you've done that and the impact of that? Yeah, yeah. And, and this is another uh, lesson learned from science and academia and the culture there that I've had at NIH. Uh, when I came to NIH, people were always talking about their mentors. And I kind of assumed that was like a, a loose, you know, idea. Like we all have mentors in our lives and our careers. But in science, having a mentor is a very specific role and designation that someone plays in your career. And uh, and the practice of science is actually designed around mentorship, around working in a laboratory and learning from someone who is an expert in the field and then growing your career still kind of tethered to that, uh, to that laboratory, that experience, that person. And um, it's it's very interesting uh, how that works because it's so different from the rest of the work world, I would say. Um, but there's this real culture of mentorship and value in that and rewarding people for being a mentor. And so in that environment, it's you know really easy, which is wonderful, to be able to provide mentorship to people. And it's it's really regarded as something that is, a responsibility that you have as you move up to build the pipeline of people below you and make sure that they have the skills and the experiences that are needed to come after you. Uh, and so I always try to think about that, about how do you hold the door open after you walk through it? Um, and one of the best things that was done for me was people giving me experiences to say, okay, you're ready for this. Go, go jump into a pool. That's a little bit scary. Go, you know, take this expert on a trip, go, uh, you know, step into waters that are unknown to you. And I think that you, I trust you. I believe in you. You will, you've got this, you'll swim. Uh, and so I, I do kind of try to throw people into new situations and give them the tools and support and have their back and know that, you know, they'll be able to take it from there and prove to themselves, to everybody else that they're ready to take those new steps. Um, and people, I, I find, always rise to the occasion with the right support and, and opportunity. How does that make you feel to, you know, have been on the receiving end, right, of, of a great mentorship experience and then have the opportunity to kind of do that for others? It's the best. It's, it's, yeah, it's wonderful. It's one of the best parts of the job, I think, is getting to see other people succeed and getting them, getting to see them, you know, made happy and fulfilled by new opportunities. I mean, it's, it's a joy that, you know, early in your career, it's, it's a joy that you don't really know, uh, awaits you down the road, but it's, it's just really delightful. 
That's wonderful. It's beautiful, beautiful to hear too. Yeah. Um, I want to make sure though, before we come to the end of this podcast, that we explore a little bit about technology, right? Technology is just in, influencing every industry and it's changing rapidly, but particularly I think in, in communications. So what new technologies have you taken on throughout the course of your career? Are there some that you're thinking about that might be on the forefront of your mind and in, in the next phase of your career? Yeah. Um, well, there have been a lot over the years because I'm uh, quite old at this point, but uh, I'm in the the kind of weird generation where um, I, I remember the world before there was social media um, and was kind of, you know, the person who was like, there's this new thing called Twitter. We should start a Twitter account. And they were like, all right, well, you're, you know, in your early 20s, you seem, you know, able to do that. Go ahead and do it. And then, you know, which which was really great. Um, I think being uh, on top of emerging technologies early in your career is a really wonderful thing, a great way to prove that you are, um, that you're engaged that you are thinking about what the company needs to do, that you're bringing new innovative solutions. It's a, it's a really great kind of career springboard. Um, and so I've seen a lot of platforms kind of come and go in different technologies uh, through the years. But I think the, the main tactic that uh, runs through all of them to me is the need to use pattern recognition skills when you're using these, you know, um, like I, I think about uh, Twitter and about X and how long I've been using that platform. And, you know, there have been many changes recently uh, on X um, and people who have been very frequent users, savvy users are able to, I think, uh, feel these changes just because we're so used to seeing the pattern of communications. And so any change is very, um, very easily identified. Uh, and that is true for media, for, you know, Instagram. I mean, for really any kind of mode of communications is you can tell when there's a change or you can predict what's going to happen next from having seen it so many times. Like if there's a story in the New York Times, I can tell you what your next four days are going to look like dealing with the media from that and where it's going to go. And it's helpful to know that. I mean, you kind of get it over time. But I think um, being uh, a bit more deliberate about trying to look for those patterns and understand how things will unfold um, is a skill that you can use really in any aspect of communications and doesn't lock you into necessarily one platform because there are always going to be different ones that are better better suited to different needs or different audiences or different tactics. Yeah, I'd like to drill down on that just a little bit, if you don't mind, because I find it fascinating and because it also reflects your experience, right? You can only see patterns when you've been exposed to a lot of experience that you have the data to kind of draw the pattern. 
Um, and you mentioned, you know, if you see something in the New York Times, you kind of know what happens next. Can you kind of give us an example without going too much into detail or revealing too much about a pattern that is pretty typical that you have to deal with often and how you respond and or how you anticipate it, you're going to have to respond? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, I I got good advice uh, from a boss, from a communications director once that said that if you want to be successful in communications, read every single thing that you can constantly be reading, constantly be consuming media. And that was very good advice. Um, and having come from a journalistic background too, I mean, I think that uh, has also helped me kind of piece this together because I do know how reporters and editors are making decisions on things. But um, something that I always talk about when I'm training spokespeople to understand is uh, media stories have a certain flow. Um, if we announce something from the government and we start to hear signals that it's going to be covered by a large paper like the New York Times, Washington Post, or a wire service like the Associated Press, then I know that that is going to be picked up by numerous outlets because there's a downstream effect to media where if a major outlet or wire service is covering a story, that is what other outlets look to to set their news coverage for later that day or the next day. Um, and particularly broadcast media looks at what print is doing. So if you have a lot of large interest from papers initially, which you're going to hear about first because the writers have to have time to write, then you're probably going to want to check your spokesperson's schedule because they might be asked to do a news clip that evening. Um, they might be asked to do NPR the next morning for drive time. Um, you want to start clearing some calendars for some broadcast. Uh, you are going to want to clear calendars for interviews for probably in the next three days because you're going to get um, magazines. You're going to get more local media. Uh, if it's a big enough story, you'll start to get analysis pieces, feature pieces. Uh, in our case from NIH, you know, if you're talking about a scientific advance, you might want to see who you may be able to offer to reporters to talk from a more patient perspective or a lived experience perspective. Um, you might want to have some other uh, spokespeople on hand that you can offer. So, uh, you know, clear clear your team's calendar, find out who might be available for some early mornings, evenings to take care of those things. So, um, yeah, so you you do kind of get a sense of, of how that goes. Hopefully it's a good story and one that you're excited to uh, communicate Um not always the case. Well, one last question before we go. Leaders can easily fall victim to that fear of missing out, right? Their peers may be launching podcasts like this one, writing books or growing social media following, landing TV interviews, all of that good communication stuff. But chief influencers often resist the temptation to compare themselves to others, to kind of be everywhere and kind of really focus on a message and a method. How have you managed that situation? Yeah, 
Yeah, that's that's definitely true. And I mean, it's it's um, I think it's an easy uh, values uh, trade off to make when you're a public servant because the service is the story. You know, um, my job is to communicate science. That's what sh- the spotlight should be on. You know, it, it's not it's not about me. And that's also uh, a lesson that I learned when I was a journalist too, um, from one of my editors at the post, uh, who recently passed away. And I was, I was thinking about, um, about how, uh, about him lately. And, uh, you know, I remember at, at the time, this was before social media, this was way before Twitter, like this was kind of just when broadband internet was becoming a thing. Um, and the the prevailing culture in journalism was you do not put yourself in the story. You cover the story um, and you let that speak for yourself. You do excellent journalism and that is your calling card. And that's really the culture and the example that was set when I started my career. And I took it really seriously because you didn't want to be one of those journalists who was not doing that. And, um, and I think that that's kind of stuck with me, this kind of ethos that you show up, you work your hardest, you do a great job and good things will follow that. But, um, uh, I do think that, you know, you need to be aware kind of of how, how you're presenting in your, in your office, uh, and, you know, um, and in your industry, uh, but as, as a PR person, I mean, especially I think if you are, um, working with a number of clients, like those clients, that's who needs the spotlight. Uh, and, um, so I may be, I may be old school in that kind of influencer context, but luckily I'm in a role that, that makes it quite easy because the science on it, on its own is, uh, is quite enough to be the story. Wow. Well, and we've learned so much today. I think, as I said, kind of at the beginning, I I love your chief influencer characteristics, the way you express yourself. It's again, it's not only about what you say, how you say it, where you say it, but you emphasize themes here that I think are really very interesting. We talked about listening, right? But then there's also the watching, right? There's a lot about being a chief influencer that's watching patterns, right? Watching people, um, even self-observation about how you're presenting self. Um, loved all of these sort of very reflective themes. It's no wonder uh, that people love you as a mentor. Um, it's no wonder that you have a great impact um, as a, a mentor. And I can't tell you how proud we are here at GW's Graduate School of Political Management of all that you have accomplished and all that you've taught us today. And I know all of us here at Chief Influencer are very, very grateful for your time. Oh, thank you so much for having me and for all of the support over the years. I really could not have done it uh, without you guys. And it's it's always such, um, so meaningful, such a pleasure to to reconnect uh, with the community. So thank you. How can our listeners find you? Uh, you can probably just Google me. Uh, I'm on all the, all the platforms. Um, and you can 
find me at nida.nih.gov. Great. Well, thank you again for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Chief Influencer, a production of Social Driver and the Communications Board. If you know a leader who should be featured as a chief influencer, please nominate them at chiefinfluencer.org. For show notes and more, visit us at chiefinfluencer.org or follow Chief Influencer on LinkedIn. Until next time, 